Greetings, heathens and heretics. Welcome to another episode of In the Abyss with uh, me, as as ever, the ever-present um, voice of reason and Prince of Arabia over there in Saudi. Uh, and this week we welcome back cultural advisor to the podcast, Mr. Gavin Evans. Um, how are we all this evening, especially Gav, because it's been a while since we had you back. Everyone good? Very good, thanks. Glad to be back. Yeah. He's not even fucking with us. Look, he, what? Wake up. To, uh, fucking Evans needs to um I think he's filled his quota now. He can't come back on this podcast actually. Well, he has um he has become the cultural advisor of the podcast because he can advise from the sidelines. So what have we what have we done? <laughs> we've done we've done wrestling, we've done movies, um, and obviously we uh you, you had your first your first metal gig and um since then as well, I gotta say, uh Gav lapping up K-Man riffs every Friday. When I woke up this morning on a rare Friday, not at work, to find messages already from Gav about the new Lucifer album. Um, Brilliant. Yeah. The, the, the tide has the most definitely changed, but um, we'll, we'll talk about that a bit more next week. Anyway, we got Gav back because this week we're talking gaming um, and the links between heavy metal and gaming, uh, no matter how tenuous that might be, unbelievably, there is there is quite a lot. Um, myself and the voice of reason not so clued up on this, so this is going to be one for Gav and the holy man. But we'll hold off on on Padre talking about doom and quake and shit like that as much as we possibly can. So this this is kind of broken down into three sections to a certain extent: before Tony Hawk's, after Tony Hawk's, but before Guitar Hero, and then after Guitar Hero. So um, I, we'll, I'll go to Gav first, and we'll just uh, quickly why why the fuck are we linking heavy metal and game? Where did it start, and what were the first games? I think part of this is that I needed to complete a trilogy. So obviously we've done the wrestling, right? Fair enough. We've done movies. Edgar Wright's got the Cornetto trilogy. I'm going to call this the Campo Veo Rioja trilogy. Because for each one of these, I've had the red wine out. So I think... um, what was interesting about this is as soon as I had the idea around uh, thinking of, of this as another podcast, I mentioned it to a couple of people and even people who maybe I wouldn't have thought um, necessarily gamers or metalheads, both of them said, oh, do you remember that Motley Crue pinball game? And there we go. That's how it, I, I've kind of started looking at the, the research. And there are quite a few bands who have managed to sell their soul to whichever computer company was willing to produce a game with their name on it. Um, But if we go right the way back, the earliest one that I could find was 1989, a game called Holy Diver. And I'm just going to read the story of the game because I think it just sums up everything about it. It is the 666th year of the world of magic and the Crimson Kingdom is facing destruction at the hands of the Black Slayer demon king of the underground dark empire realizing that his days are numbered the 16th crimson empire ronnie decides to entrust his two infant sons randy and zach to his faithful servant ozzy with slayer forces closing in ozzy randy and zach escape to another dimension with the hope of eventually bringing light back into the world that's that is basically a ronnie james Dio album i mean (laughs) It's, it's, I mean, also with like kind of loads <laughs> of man of war. That is a synopsis that anybody would be proud of. That is brilliant. 
one one thing you've got to one one thing you've got to consider, I think, is if you look at if you look at the demographic of like people that play computer games, then there's a lot of you. If you were to have a Venn diagram, there's going to be a lot of people on that uh, on that uh, in that diagram that, that overlap with heavy metal or punk or alternative music, whether it be um, electronica, EDM, metal, punk, or even some like you know other forms of music that aren't in the mainstream. And a lot of those people, you could also really describe as being maybe, you know, the kind of the black sheep in the group. So maybe they're more akin to being like kind of introverted. They're going to stay at home and, and, and learn how to code. So like you just remember the, the computer game company Codemasters, which made loads of games on those tapes, you know, like for the BBC Electron and the Spectrum ZX and all that kind of stuff. Commodore 64 was mine. Yeah, yeah, um, Commodore 64. Those those guys were into those guys were into metal, and they just they just stayed in in their bedrooms making basically coding these games, and they made themselves into millionaires. So heavy um, metal losers, then basically like that that yeah, yeah, archetypal yeah. cliche of heavy metal fan. For lack of for lack of a better phrase, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's you know how many how many heavy metal fans who have been like, well, I'm not gonna I've not been invited to that fucking um you know school party or whatever it is or house party, so I'm just gonna stay at home and learn this riff on the guitar and play that computer game or you know do something else it's, i think i think there's something and watch that. wrestling yeah yeah and watch wrestling as well and then also <laughs> you know then you as as you've got computers developing and you've got the uh dawn of the internet then you've got the the um uh opportunity to play games on lands and play games over the net so then you've got people making groups over the over the net and stuff like that and i, I mean i remember a lot of the people that used to play computer games and they would bring their computers over to each other's houses and look and rig up the and make a LAN. They those those guys were all into alternative forms of music, be it goth, metal, punk, whatever. You know, not no one was like, hey, I'm a Spice Girls fan, let's LAN, let's get let's let's play a let's play Doom all weekend. No one was you didn't really meet anyone like that. So I, I think you know that's where the overlap is. It's, it may not be the fact that metal is pervasive all the way through computer games, but the people that play the games, that's where your overlap is. That's where it comes from. It comes from the people. Right. I mean, I've noticed just on the wiki page, but I've, I've never heard of this game before tonight, but I can see why, because it was never formally released outside of Japan. Well, that says it all big in Japan. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the the synopsis alone does read like the concept of of a, a fucking a, a Dio album or something like that. It's 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 every heavy metal cliche in the book, and obviously your Aussie, your Randy, your Zach, all of that. It's it's sort of nailed on, but that's not that's not really mainstream. And like you mentioned earlier on, Gab, the 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 Motley Crue pinball game, which is probably a little bit more. It's more likely to be known by people listening to this podcast, I would imagine. I can't imagine that many people are aware of Holy Diver as a game. No, I'd agree. And then I think, you know, to Padre's point, as technology and the consoles got better, you're moving into that space of, you know, the PlayStation with CDs where you've actually got then licensed tracks on some of these songs. And then that's really where it kind of kicks off. Whereas, you know, early 90s, you know, you're still looking at Mega Drive and maybe, you know, the, the SNES is just coming about. So you're still fairly plinky plunky in terms of your uh, sound base. Yeah, 
then, he, yeah, you're right. And he, but even then, when you've got, even if you go back to like some of the the earlier consoles, like the, the original Nintendo, the Spectrum ZX, the Amiga, those games, and you look at games like Double Dragon. Do you remember that one? The, yeah. The pre. The that like what I'm saying is like if you look at those games, I can get onto Streets of Rage as well. If you get on, look at those games. Look at how. The bad guys and the heroes are all dressed. They're wearing patched denim jackets, wallet chains, fucking studs. You know, the the, the soundtrack, even though it was 16-bit or 32-bit and it was all, like, you know, electronic stuff, it was definitely, like, having to, like, kind of use guitar sounds and stuff like that. And then and then you move into the cartridges. You've got the 16-bit systems at the Mega Drive. And then, then you get the CDs. And guess what? Once it goes onto CDs, then you can have licensed tracks. And it's not just even metal. I mean, I remember, what was it? Uh, which version of FIFA had Song 2 by Blur on it as the intro? Yeah, it was like, one yeah, of the it, early ones. Yeah, it starts, it's, yeah it's everywhere. Um, and it was re- it was the racing games. What, what was it? What was that game that had um, the Prodigy on it? It was the Wipeout on the PS1. Had yeah. lots of Prodigy on it. So, yeah, it's, it, you see music. just Because it was like, I think a lot of the time, it was like that, that game, again, was trying to capture the, the current zeitgeist. So by putting pop music data to that time on it was a way of improving sales. Yeah. All right, but that's, that's, that's one thing, though. But the, some of these early days we're talking about, this is before, like Gav said earlier on, bands were selling out and allowing their music to be on, to be on computer games. So the early days of stuff that we're looking at, and there's, there's one game that we'll want to talk about. I know Padre will want to talk about this, that while there's no sort of direct metal links, it has a heavy metal feel. And this is one of the first console games that I remember from when I was at school. I never had I never had a console. I always played this at a friend's place. Um, and that was Road Rash 2. And there's, there's, a, there's a couple of things I remember about this game. And when I look back at it now, and you look at some of the pictures and some of the names and all this kind of shit, it does make you feel like there was a heavy metal edge. So... Holy man, for the, for those that are of a younger vintage than we are, um, tell us about Road, Road Rash 2. Road Rash 2 was a, a seminal game. It was on the Sega Mega Drive. It wasn't on the Super Nintendo. This uh, And this is one of those things where this is back in the day where certain games would only appear on one console. Yeah. And you, a, lot, a lot of people would have... Uh, would buy a console based on wanting to play those games. Road Rush 2 is a motorbike racing game. It was the, one of the first games to have the split screen so you could play against your mate on the other control pad or you play against the computer. You do five races a level. You win money. You can buy better bikes. And it was also brutally violent. You could have chains, bats. You could kick You could kick the bike into, into oncoming traffic. <laughs> the cops would chase you. And if you got caught, you got arrested. And you'd have to bail out, bail yourself out. And if you didn't have the money, you'd uh, go to jail, and that's the game over for you. And then there were lots of characters, and they were called rashes. And this is the this is the thing that cracks me up because this is where the the metal feel comes from. Because all these like bikers, again, they've all got names like Axel and Slash and Viper. And then there's the there's the, and then there's uh, and then there's a couple of the best ones, which are there's. Uh, Sven and York, the the Johnson twins from Germany, and uh, they what? Yeah. <laughs> it's not even a fucking uh, German name. <laughs> yeah, 
or maybe they're Scandinavian, but it says in the book that they're from Germany. Um, and uh, Sven, firstly, uh, Jorg looks like Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister. And Sven looks like the footballer Rudy Voller. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> is this, I have to ask, is this, I'm guessing it was a Japanese game. Is this like where they... Um... Oh, no, this was Electronic Arts. This is an American game. Oh, right. So, because with a lot of Japanese games of those days, it's become a bit of an internet then, but I always wondered why characters in Speedball and Kickoff 2 always had weird sort of English names, like, you know, like Sleeve McDykel and God, <laughs> God Ronson and something like that. It was all like like weird mutations of Western names. And it's because Japanese, yeah. Japanese um, uh, designers were trying to come up with fake names without you know, latching on to anything. And it was, now I understand why. So they don't even have that excuse, then it sounds. So when you, like, for example, the intro music to Ray Brush 2 has a definite, like, kind of hard rock metal feel. It's, like, it, almost industrial, too. But, like, what, and it was all, but it was all the little touches for me that made it. So, for example, when you finished your race, if you won or you came in the middle or you came last or you got busted, or you didn't do very well in the race, like one of the characters, other characters would pop up on the stream and like, you know, they'd have a message for you. So this is Sven of the Jorgensen twins. If you don't, he goes, I could twist you into Danish, but I detest the Danish even more than I detest you. Okay. That, that, that's classic. Um, then, and this, and again, this is what I mean by like kind of having a metal in, like influence. One of the characters on there is called public enemy. Number one. And she's a British punk singer who is tattooed from the waist down and is an anarchist. And is, you know, uh, she says, like, I love to dance the winner in petrol and then light a match. Not that I'm jealous. Fuck, you know, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? Yeah, I know. I know but, it, but this is the 90s, man. Anything goes, you know. And then <laughs> my favourite, my all-time favourite. <laughs> Is this this and then if you look in the in in the in the manual, there's like backstories for every of these characters, right? And when you get to level five, you come against the ultimate boss. He's got the best bike, you know. He's always starts in first place. You always start in last place. You've got to catch him up. If you try and fuck with him, he'll get a chain out and hit you with it. San Francisco's hardest hitter, Warhammer. This six foot, two hundred and fifty pound screamer. Heads local metal band Sock and Mouth, whose <laughs> albums were banned worldwide. His stage show is a modern day Gamora. And after a week of swallowing blowfish, smearing himself with elephant dung and rolling in razor wire, the war dude likes to kick back at 180 miles an hour and wreak absolute havoc. A crazed health nut, his high impact, out of control agenda has no room for the peace of mind though he was once spotted sitting idly in a deck chair while his deranged refrigerator kids, the deranged kids attach refrigerator magnets on his forehead. Okay, so there you go. The boss is called Warhammer. He fronts a metal band. He's, a, he's you know, he must, be, he must have been in Wasp. But then, like, Warhammer, you know, he, he comes up with comments when you, you know... Uh, when you don't do very well, like he says, like, ask yourself seriously, do you really need nitrous? I think he's talking about nitrous oxide injection on your engine. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. And then another one, all that twisted metal, it makes me feel at home. 
Um, and that's that's basically that's Road, Road Rush Two, and basically it's a game where you could just uh, and you know there's the other one. I think if you tapped in A A B B A A at the intro screen, you then got the cheap vibe, which was called the Wild Thing Two Thousand, which had unlimited nitrous oxide injection boost. So you could go at like two hundred and fifty miles an hour, and but you couldn't actually control the damn bike. You couldn't keep it on a straight and narrow because you'd always like you'd go into the back of a truck or something. Uh, so yeah, but yeah, it was just like that game. And it's 1995. Road Rush 3 then comes out, and then Road Rush goes on to the PlayStation, and that's when they started adding things like Soundgarden on the uh, soundtrack, so Alice in Chains, um, Pantera were on the soundtrack and were on the PlayStation version. So then you did have more metal tracks on that game. But I, you know, I just love that game because. Like I, said, I, remember, I remember it. Like I said, I never had the console, but um, I did play it at, at my friend Darren's house, and I do remember. We would play Road Rash 2 for fucking hours, just constantly. And I, Sven and Jorg are the names that I remember the most. The rest of it, I cannot remember. But those two names are the ones I do remember. So those are the things you, that kind of stick in your head. You are right, yeah. with it, though, because the names in Streets of Rage, you've got Axel in Streets yeah. of Rage as well. Yeah, I, I, that, and that name keeps that name pops up again. And that's definitely... That's got to be coming from the fact that around this time, these Guns and Roses is still a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know? of course. Um, of course. So, but again, that's what I'm saying. It's like a lot of these like kind of games where they were kind of trying to be kind of like almost like either steampunk or um, uh, almost have like a gothic tinge to them. A lot of them, these these games were not necessarily being made by people that were pure metal heads, but these, these people were looking to metal for the aesthetic. Yeah. So, like, you know, I think that's that's quite true of a lot of games. Well, you know, if you look at Doom, which came the year after, Robert Prince, the the guy that did the soundtrack there, you know, he he said he took all of his cues for the music from Metallica, Pantera, Judas Priest, and Slayer. Yeah, yeah. Um, Again, I I never never played. I never played Doom. Never in my life. But I I mean, any game where you're going around slaying demons with a big fucking gun. Uh, probably fairly metal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a there, there was there was a, there was a game similar to Doom, and I'm not talking about Quake, because there was a slew of those games around the same around in that five year period, the, the first person shooter. But there was one really really weird game. It was 97, 98 came out. It wasn't very popular. It was called Rednecks Rampage. So imagine 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 Doom. But you're in the south, in the deep south of the United States, going around farms, like attacking hillbillies with like shotguns and chainsaws and stuff like that. It was really weird. And you just remember, you know, it had almost like I was thinking to myself, there was one band that could have done the soundtrack to this. It was like Primus. Could have been Les, you know, you could have had Les Claypool on the bass there. Um, so yeah, uh, but yeah, I was more of a Quake fan because this is this is the thing I was thinking about. Back when all this stuff is coming out, the hardcore gamers used to play PCs because these are the same people yeah. that you build your PC as well um, and you could make adapt- adaptations to some of the stuff. And it wasn't until those games started then appearing on consoles that you've got wider wider use and what, you know, it's more widespread. But like, remember Quake was, was revolutionary, not because of the gameplay or anything, because you could actually play your own music on Quake while you were playing the game. So, like, if you wanted to listen to metal while you were playing the game, so you could pick your own soundtrack. 
that was pretty cool. I remember that, and that was quite clever of them. So, and again, like you know, you've got your MP3s are running in Winamp, but it's playing through the game. That was always pretty cool. That's quite yeah time. That's that's not something that, that I've ever heard of yeah. since. No, no. I mean, you can. I know. I, I don't know if you can do it with other games. I know. I remember some of the. There was like WWF Raw on the on the Xbox. You were able to then you, you you could actually import your own music to use as the music for the your created characters the intro music. Because again, I thought it was a really clever idea. Yeah. Um, did so it, uh, did it only allow new metal though? Because that's that's all it would have been back then. Wouldn't it? No, no. I mean, well, yeah, I, you could have if you wanted to, but like you know. Why would you? Why would you use new metal as, a, as an intro for a wrestler when you can have like you know, rain and blood? Because it was all fucking new metal. We 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 went over this the first time Gav was on this fucking podcast. The, the fucking new metal and fucking wrestling. You, you you don't want to get Padre talking about wrestling games. This is the man that in uni came round my house, the back of the house, so he could knock on my window at two o'clock in the morning where he paused WrestleMania 2000 in the Royal Rumble because he was the last man left with one other person for me to come and watch to see if he could win it. <laughs> you no, sad no. cunt. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't Royal Rumble. It wasn't was, it Royal the, was it the cage? Was it a cage it, match? It was a SummerSlam cage match. And I, I'd done my finishing move. I'd done my finishing move on The Undertaker three times and I just couldn't pin him. And it had it, been going on for like an hour. And I, so I came around and got you, and I think it took me another 20 minutes to finish it. And even at some point, I think you took the control pad and had a go. We just couldn't finish him off. You pair of I, I, I would have, I would have terminated our friendship right there and then. <laughs> no, he, he came, he came over gladly. He was like, "Let me get changed." Yeah, no, not, not a problem. I mean, yeah, th this is the man who kicked in his cupboard door and called Ryu a cunt as he was playing Street Fighter. So yeah, he's got history. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Um, um, well, as, you, as, you, as you move kind of through the nineties, though, you kind of get to a point then where the Dreamcast came out, and then finally yeah. you get Crazy Taxi, and I think that's probably the first game which I immediately pin to songs uh, because of the soundtrack. Um, you know, primarily led by Offspring. Uh, with a bit of bad religion on there as well, and and if I if I ever see the game Crazy Taxi, I'll immediately think of those songs. Yeah, that's another. And game. vice versa. I, I remember I remember the game like visually. I can remember I can remember it, but never played it, so I I didn't even know there was any kind of linked with with music. Brilliant game. Sega have just announced that they're um, doing it up and doing like a HD version. Uh, which is going to be released this year. What they'll include on the soundtrack, I don't know. If they do include the original Offspring songs, that would be uh, a good nod to the past. No, it'll be Fallout Boy and Panic at the Disco. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, even that's probably old-fashioned. I don't know, I'm not down with the kids. But, um, but um, yeah, that, that, that wasn't one that ever, um, ever came to me. Um, going into the 90s, going into the late 90s, Looking at the list of the things we've got here, um, if we're talking heavy metal and gaming, we need to talk about the whole Iron Maiden and Ed Hunter thing. And and to be fair, Maiden have carried on with the gaming stuff. They've done quite a few online gaming features that have come out with releases and singles and stuff like that, and it all kind of feeds in. But 
Headhunter was where it started. Now, from what I remember, um, it all came on a CD-ROM as part of the Headhunter Best Of package, which was when Bruce returned to Maiden in the very late 90s. Um, and you remember, Padre, that uh, Maiden's first reunion show in Europe, they did a show in Paris. I think it was in 99. Yeah, Megadeth supported, yeah. Yeah, Megadeth supported. And it was like, you know, you got Maiden coming back. They're bringing Bruce back. We'd never seen him before. And the only fucking show they play that's anywhere near is fucking Paris. They didn't even play a show in London. And that's always bugs me, that is. I know. Because yeah. no, we were at, um, oh, we were at Big Day Out, weren't we? It was Big Day Out, yeah. Yeah. We were queuing for Dave Mustaine signing, weren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Why, why on earth did they, did they think, what did the French do to, like, deserve that? I'll be honest. You got to remember though that UK just wasn't buying metal at the time. This is it. Yeah. I think you know we, we we talk now about the UK's attitude towards trad metal, even for all these bands we want to come and see see play. Um, and in the late nineties, trad trad metal, old school heavy metal, whatever, was at its lowest point. Yeah, completely. I got into it as most unfashionable. So that says it all. But um, maybe- I know. The, the fan base for Maiden was there. It was. It was. Well, I, I don't think. I don't think it, it was. You, no, you no, got to bear in mind that when when they had Blaze in the band, yeah, they were playing like fucking four thousand capacity venues, three thousand capacity venues. You yeah, know, the so virtual, the virtual eleven tour uh, was Brixton Academy in yeah, London. Yeah, so they they weren't anywhere near. So that probably does explain why. But it still it still irked me. But anyway, that's not what we we're talking. Yeah. About. <laughs> it's the fucking it's the game Ed Hunter. I never played it. Right, because, well, I don't actually know why I never played it. I remember having the the disc package, this fucking two CD and CD ROM, whatever it was, but I never actually played the game. I don't know if any of you lot did, but they made quite a big deal of it. So, does anyone actually know anything about it? Because it kind of passed me by. I never played it. Um, I know that each of the levels were based on a different album. Mm. So you had a Pharaoh's Tomb from Power Slave. Stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, whether it was any good or not, I've uh, I've no idea. I doubt Padre, it. Padre I must have played it, surely. I didn't. No? I, I remember seeing it. I've, I've seen it. Uh, it was like a, a platform game. But no, I've never really played it. Um, by 1999, I was like... I didn't have a console. I was like hardcore into like PC gaming and like that, and that, those kind of games really dad no weren't even on my radar. So no. I can't imagine it was good. I mean, you know, games like that, big brands, that's it. But they never are and they don't need to be because they're they they're such such a niche that they're just relying on the fact that a fan of the band is gonna get the game just because it's got the the band on it, you know. Yeah. No one's yeah, no, 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 like they're, they're going into going right. If there's ten thousand Iron Maiden fans and two thousand of them are gamers, then we want a thousand people of that 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 cohort to buy that game. That kind of thing. It's not like they're going to spend two years crafting this immaculate game with cutscenes and spend millions of dollars on it uh, because they want it to be a smash, like you know, it's not like Halo or something. No, it's just clever marketing. That's all it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think Maiden are only second to Kiss when it comes to that kind of thing. So you know, it, it probably it probably did its job, and you know, the rest is history. When you look at what you know, where Maiden went from there, Brave New World, and then playing stadiums and whatever, so it's it's all good. Um, 
Well, should we talk about Kiss now just quickly and get it out of the way? I think, yeah, I think we probably should bring it up. They, they had a game in 2000, uh, Kiss Psycho Circus, The Nightmare Child. Oh. Uh, first person shooter based on um, a comic, which was not very well received in terms of a game. But there's a surprise. <laughs> That's fucking Kiss all over, though. Really yeah, I mean, but that, I mean, funny enough, the 70s comics have spoken quite quite fondly of people into comics, but um, outside of that, no. The lowest common denominator doing what the lowest common denominator does, really, Kiss, is you only have to look at what they're playing at now with the fact they've done their final ever show and they're now going into digital stuff. It's just, nah, 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 let's leave Kiss out of it. Um, right, let's talk Tony Hawk because this this is where it all changes, I suppose. And again, this was never one for me. I never never played any of this stuff. This was not a period of my, my life when I was playing any kind of game, but I, I'm fully aware of the impact this has. And skateboarding obviously has a direct link with alternative music. So what's, what's the importance of this then? I'll, I'll just say this before Gav wades in. I remember, I said, so 10 Yorks 2, that's slap bang in the middle of us lot at university. Yeah. And there were there were at least two punk ska punk bands that I was at university with. One of them was called Adequate Seven. All of those guys were hardcore into Tony Hawks, and they were all shit hot at it. Um, it, it that game, that kind of the the, the skater groups, the uh, punk guys, the, the metal guys. There was something about it. Wasn't just the music on the game; it's the game itself. It's a good game. Um, you know, it was uh, that it had an impact, and it had it, and it was big in those circles. Yeah, would you yeah. agree? Uh, I mean, it was a a cultural phenomenon. It put Tony Hawk's on the map, and then any game past that point which had his name attached to it immediately sold a huge amount of copies. I dread to think how much money was made from the Tony Hawk series because. Past the first couple of games, you got to a point where it was every year there was a new one. And it even moved through the console. So, you know, the first couple you had on the PlayStation, the Dreamcast, and they were still going on the GameCube, into the PS3. And, yeah, a couple of years back, uh, it was 2000, I think it was, in the middle of um, COVID, when they announced that they were going to re-release Tony Hawk's 1 and 2 on the PS4, you know, HD versions of it with the original soundtrack and new soundtrack. Everybody our age was immediately like, I've got to get that. Because it's that hark back to when you were 18, 19, 20, you know, at uni. It's one of those games where, because it was only ever two minutes per go you just you'd have a go and you'd pass the controller and then maybe have a beer and then the controller would go around and everybody would be trying to unlock that secret tape or make that gap that nobody had done yet or you know bust through the wall or get the points total and it and it was a game that you could all play in the room together with one controller and then you had the music on top to your point, Padre, where, you know, in, in those first couple of games, they were like 30-second clips of songs, and it was on a rotation. You'd be waiting for that rotation to come round to get back to the song that you really liked. 
But, you know, if I ever hear Goldfinger Superman, I'm immediately playing Tony Hawk's. And I, I just immediately been that song. Just to jump I, in there quick before you do, just, just, just so you're aware, just check in. From the first three games, and you bear in mind this is this is over 20 years ago, Tony Hawk made four million dollars from those first three games. <laughs> so he, wow. did, he, he did all right just from putting his name to it. <laughs> uh, I, I remember like on Tony Hawk's team, there's a there's a song by Power Man 5000 called World's Collide. And I remember like not liking that song, just thinking this is this is shit. And then I going to see Pantera in 2001 at Newport Centre on the reinventing the steel tour and Powerman 5000 and Satyricon with the supporting acts. And I watched Powerman 5000 live and they made that, they played that song and I was almost physically sick because it was worse <laughs> live than it was on the game. And they such a shitty band with a crap name, Powerman 5000. And they came on, it was like all this like kind of like neo-punk outfits they were wearing. And you're just like, nah, it just doesn't, it doesn't fly. But like, that what, Rob what, was that Rob Zombie's nephew? Yeah. Yes, no, it's his, his, his brother, Spider Zombie. I oh, think. his brother. Okay, right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just riding the coattails, you know. <laughs> but, um, but like, um, one of the things I used to like about Tony Hawk was, and I, I, I was, I was crap at games like that. I prefer like strategy games and stuff. But um. I, I would sit there and play it and just go round the skate rinks and just use these basic tricks just to, to sit there and listen to the music. You know, that's how good the soundtrack was. Right, what, um, what, was on the, what was on the soundtrack then? On, on... Well, there's the Anthrax Public Enemy song, Bring the Noise. Yeah, that was on Tony Hawk's too. Brilliant. My, my favourite, one of my favourite tracks to this day, and also quite funny, one of the tracks me and my wife listened to on our first date because she's a Scar Punk, punk fan, was uh, No Cigar by Millen Collin, which is a fucking great track. Um, Steve, you know, Ashugenza, uh, you know uh, Millen Collin, don't you? Yeah, I know Millen Collin, and they're Swedish, yeah. so, you know, they, 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 they bring the level of Swedeness to, to right Yeah. Suicidal Tendencies, Psycho Vision on the first one. Again, if I hear that, I immediately think of Tony Hawks. Um, when I saw The Offspring a few years back in Birmingham, they had bad religion support, and I didn't know they were supporting it until I got there. And then they came on and started playing a couple of songs, and immediately I was like, oh, my God, that's Tony Hawks too. The other one, and it's not a metal song, but the other one, when I hear it, I immediately think of Tony Hawks too. And I still love this track to this day. It's off. It's by uh, Rockus Records. It's most definitely. Uh, and the High and Mighty featuring most stuff is B-Boy Document. That's a, uh, and then it cuts into World War Three by Shadim Shadik and Ferry Munch. That's, that's, great... that's two weeks in a row you've brought hip-hop to this podcast. Never again. <laughs> my, my point being, like, that game had something for a lot of different people. I think, for me, um, by the time we got to Tony Hawk's 4, the game was as good as it was ever going to get. Um, Padre was working in-game in Cardiff and was able to get the games like just before they came out. So we had Tony Hawk's for on the GameCube a couple of days before release. And yeah, you start to Yeah. And Rick, give me an old copy of the game and I'll trade it in and get you a good so it's like you were you were getting a brand new <laughs> copy of the game for like a tenner. Uh, I, I yeah, ACDC TNT was one of the main songs on that. But I even remember the TV advert when I hear that song now. 
And that's how, again, my brain is just closely linking TNT to Iron Man 2, probably, but then also Tony Hawk's 4. And Iron Maiden sold their soul on that one as well because um, you had the unlockable character of Eddie in Tony Hawk's 4. I was just about to ask about that. I've seen that in the notes. So how, how did that work then as a character? I think you've just got to a point where you add so many points or whatnot, and then you could choose secret characters to to get. Um, and it was literally like a, a full-size, like alien, human-sized Eddie on a skateboard. That's class. See, Maiden, Maiden would have earned out of that as well. That would have been a, you know, there's a bit of money in that. Just just sticking Eddie in that game. Yeah. They would have, they, that would have been an earner. But, you know, fair play because that's, you can understand why bands do it though, because you're breaking into like Padre said, is is that that cross contamination of, of people that are gonna be into into all of this, into gaming, into metal, into punk. Yeah. So allowing your music to be on these games is a is a it's a no brainer, really. It, it it is. And I think um you know, as soon as you got past Tony York's four, everybody started to realise if I've got my music on these songs it's probably now going to be on people's iPods because that was probably at about the same time. You've got iTunes has started, downloads, and so the likes then of Kiss and Metallica and Motley Crue and all of those have come in. But then alongside, you know, uh, Mastodon and Entombed and Lamb of God were on, I think, American Wasteland. So it started to get much more uh, diverse and then maybe a move away from your skateboard punk type music yeah, yeah. into a bit more metal yeah because this this is where i come in this is where, this is where I, I say stuff um <laughs> cause I, yeah because I, I i was i i had a an amiga in the early teens and played a few games there but you know generally wasn't a massive thing for me um but after did after we did our degree i treat myself to a ps2 because I thought I deserve, I deserve something nice, and you I animal. I know, and I, 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 I was mainly born into it because of Vice City. Because yeah, yeah, I'm a massive '80s nerd, as, as we all know, and I just saw that. Oh, yeah. the other, uh, I don't think you've mentioned that. No, no, no. And I just thought I've got to play that game, and I just yeah, I treated myself to it, and I spent six months playing that game a lot, but. You think of all those specially designed radio stations for each kind of music style. So, of course, with the eight the, the metal one, you've got you've got Megadeth, uh, you've got Judas Priest. Um, I had it written here actually. Motley Crue, of course. Iron Maiden, uh, and also the classic "Turn Up the Radio" by Autograph, and Anthrax, Slayer, Rain Blood. It you know it's just. Yeah, you got you got the other good stuff, all the other 80s stuff I liked, but it was great actually being able to drive around and do crazy shit to those songs. And the thing is, at the time, I had this like potsy little fucking tiny colour television, which was straining. So I've never played Vice City on a decent television, so I probably need, need to make, make a point of doing that one day. But that was, yeah, that's kind of what brought me in. And of course, I, I bought San Andreas as well, which I never completed, and that's because I've never been a big gamer. And one day I will, when I'm settled. But... That did the same with 90s stuff. You had Rage Against the Machine, Helmet, and all sorts of alternative rock stuff because that was the um, that was the thing at the time. And you know, yeah, they must have actually the um, 
Yeah. And then, you know, on, on GTA, when you got to the point where there was enough storage space on, on, on these games, you could literally just pick the radio station that you wanted and keep it on that. So if you wanted to just listen to hip hop, you could stick it on the hip hop channel. If you wanted metal, you stick it on the metal channel. Oh, I never did that. <laughs> I think the thing with um, Tony Hawk's though, it, it, it did get to a point of just complete and total saturation in the market. And that's probably where he disappeared for quite a while because you ended up with Dave Mira BMX, Matt Hoffman's BMX. I mean, Padre, we had both of those in uh, in uni and, you know, different songs on, on those ones. One that I really did like and I actually have still got on the GameCube is Aggressive Inline, um, which is basically Tony Hawk's, but on like inline skates. Um, and that was the first time that I ever heard Real Big Fish. And uh, and again, I've loved them ever since. Oh, it's just it got like I mean, it got like reality TV, really, didn't it? I mean, you had Big Brother, <laughs> and then you end up with like fucking Love Island. It's like you know, it's like Tony Hawk's pro skater. Like, what else can we do? Inline skating, BMX. Uh, then it was like snowboarding. The worst one was um, oh, who was the surfer? Oh, uh, Kelly Slater. Kelly Slater, pro surfer. On the GameCube, awful game. Absolutely <laughs> yeah, awful. <laughs> it would have been. It would have been much better if it had been like kind of Point Break style game, and they'd had <laughs> Anthony Kiedis in there and Patrick Swayze going going up to him going back, back off, off child. <laughs> Thing is, you, you talk about aggressive inline. I'm just looking. At, I'm just looking at the notes here, and you know we've gone from. You know, Tony Hawks and having legendary bands on the soundtrack to aggressive inline having shit like Saliva and Hooberstank. No, no. You know, when you're just scraping the fucking barrel now, right? Let's let's try. We we need to get we need to get something that's sort of heavy and current and whatnot. So who who's around? Who's cool? Who are the kids loving? Oh yeah, this yeah. band Hooberstank. They're amazing. They're like a, a an even wetter incubus. Let's let's get them. Yeah, I mean one one one. Uh, game I played a lot as well at the time was uh, Need for Speed Underground, and that did uh, that was very contemporary when it came to rock music. It was a bit of a blend of new metal and um, the hard rock stuff, maybe the sort of earlier sort of hardcore emo stuff that was sort of starting to come on. Lots of punk as well, but yeah, there's a lot of hip hop and soul. It was very very now um and it, but it worked it worked for it because obviously it was that fast and fast and furious sort of culture yeah but by by this point every everything you know all, all bets are off to a certain extent and it is just kind of get whatever you can but all of that aside um I, I guess the the headline thing we really we we really need to talk about on this episode and, and what we're sort of building up to is guitar hero now all these other games that we've been talking about have all had metal in the soundtracks or, or whatever it may be or inspired by metal whatever guitar hero is a lot more route one um and i'd imagine that the majority of people who listen to this are going to know what guitar hero is all about but let's let's just let's just go with that the first ever guitar hero game i wasn't quite there yet. it was guitar hero three i think guitar hero three legends of rock or maybe it was two i can't remember yeah legends of rock yeah, three, yeah that yeah. was the first one that i came across but when you look at some of the stuff you could play on this game you can see why it was just a hit, an instant fucking hit. And it changed gaming massively. It really did. 
getting that first guitar hero and getting that guitar out of the box just unbelievable and the track list on that first game even though they were all um kind of cover versions because i i guess they didn't want to throw all of their money at that first one just in oh. case it didn't stick against the wall so they're all kind of covers rather than licensed copies but I mean, you know, if you run through Ace of Spades, Bark at the Moon, Cowboys from Hell, uh, Heart Full of Black, Burning Brides, I love that track. I love Rock and Roll, I Want to Be Sedated, Iron Man, Symphony of Destruction, You've Got Another Thing Coming. They were literally all on that first game. Yeah. 30 tracks, um, just amazing. Was um, and, was Barracuda on that one or was that the next one? That was on the uh, It was on the third one, yeah. Yeah, okay. I remember that. That was, I think, that was the first. I, I, the first I, one I, I never, I have, I have never understood the fuss about Fleetwood Mac. No, Barracuda was hot. You cunt. <laughs> Sorry, Barracuda what? was hot. You cunt. But what's wrong with Fleetwood Mac? Just, I don't know. I just, I just, I just, I think I just remember like the 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 Brit Awards of. You know, Mick Fleetwood and Samantha Fox. Um, <laughs> that's a, a legendary moment in music yeah. history. <laughs> I mean that that. And anyway, Mick, Fleet, Mick Fleetwood was educated at Truro School, you cunt. So he, he's one of us. Is he? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I just I, I, one of the things that I was really disappointed about with Guitar Hero, and. By the by, the time Guitar Hero's out, and you all you twats are playing it, I've actually left left the UK and I'm, I'm and I'm living abroad because you know. Oh, here we go. Um. So, why there should have been a secret level on Guitar Hero, right? For the for the for those flash gets, and it would and it would be just Ingray Mam's theme songs. <laughs> like you think you're good on Guitar Hero? Play some fucking mums. No, no, no. But, but the point of Guitar Hero was to keep people like that out. You know, they've got actual guitars. You know, they're, they're great on those. This is ours. This is normal people's guitars. That's, that's a fair point. We, uh, no, no, because it went the other way. No voice of reason. I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to be reasonable. It's a good point you've made. But that's not the world we live in, right? Because it went the other way, right? I, I remember having conversations with a variety of cunts <laughs> that actually said to me, oh, I, I can play Hangar 18 on Guitar Hero flawlessly. I reckon I could probably play it on the guitar. And you're just like, it's one of those moments where like your cigarette drops out of your mouth and you spill your pint because you're just like, uh, and I'm shit on the guitar and I can barely play the intro to Hangar 18. And I'm just like, do you have any idea? The Guitar Hero guitars have four buttons on it. The guitars don't even have active fucking pickups, you know? Like, and you think you can just waltz in here and play <laughs> Marty Freeman's masterpiece. Get a fucking grip. You know, it, it, it was delusional. You know, I mean, I, 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 I had to just... I, I, I was having this conversation with a guy in 2006 at a fucking house party, and I just had to walk away. I, I mean, it's one of the few times in my life where I actually... Refuse to argue with a drunk person or a fool. I just went like this. This this conversation is never going to go near. I just like fuck off. I'm going to walk away. You know, because like it just hurts. And and there were lots of other people like that. 
I, I've been speaking to Activision though to see if we can get a special uh, in the abyss version of uh, Guitar Hero, and it's just going to be called Dream Theater: The Lost Levels. Fuck you. <laughs> Do you take, you, do you take your cultural advice and fuck off. <laughs> do you reckon you could have like um, a, a Guitar Hero kind of Nintendo Wii drum kit set up for that game, but it's got like it has to be delivered over three days because there's so many different pieces. I don't know for sure, but surely there's no dreams there on any Guitar Heroes. There, there can't be, surely. I don't think so. Don't think Pardon. so. It's the super secret bonus level, and it goes on for an hour and a half. But you had that on. I think it, is it is it on Legends of Rock that you you it won is. Dragon Force through the fire and flames. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, wasn't it? And, and and I think you know that song is still now a, a cultural phenomenon attached to Guitar Hero. There was a guy only a couple of months back who was the first person who'd managed to get 100% on extreme or whatever the hardest level, but playing it at like five times the speed of the normal track. It is absolutely insane. A hundred percent. I mean, that song in itself, just trying to play it on maybe medium is bloody hard enough. But yeah, ratchet it up to extreme, five times the speed and a hundred percent. It is, you've got to have a look. It's on YouTube. It's crazy. It's always, you know, that, the way that band exploded, you know, in that capacity amazes me because we we saw them back in the day before that. We saw them at the, uh, the LA2, I think, on a on a bill uh, with one of Wolf's bands at the time. Um, it was the and, Peel, wasn't it? No, it was the Peel, wasn't no, it? No, no, it was the LA2. It was definitely, definitely the LA2. I've got, I, yeah, I've got a ticket. It was an all day there. Did we not see them at the Peel? Didn't we, we saw their second ever show. We, we may have done, but we definitely saw them at the LA2. I think, yeah, I, 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 I think I remember that, but I do, I definitely remember seeing them at the Peel. Well, you might have done. Oh, I, yeah, I, okay, yeah, you I, may not have been there. And it, I, it, was yeah, their, it, was, it was their second ever show. That, that's yeah, because I was, I was working at the cinema, so I had to do stupid hours mm. and, you know, whatnot. Um, but then we saw the Bloodstock in 04, indoors. Yeah. And I can remember that because Herman Lee, the guitarist, obviously the big man, he was sitting opposite me on the train on the way back. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, seeing seeing how they just blew up because of that game it's just absolutely nuts they're a yeah. terrible band though this is the thing I mean, yeah they had their moment but they are fucking shit they really are and i don't know but you're right this this particular song and, and the link with guitar hero it obviously did them some good so i, I guess fair play but yeah and I, I think guitar hero then it was similar to, to tony hawks it probably hit its peak in and around legends of rock where all of a sudden you're up to 60, 70 songs on a, a track list. They're all the official licensed versions as everybody's realised this is going to make me loads of cash. Um, and Legends of Rock has got a great, a great soundtrack. I mean, you've got Slipknot on that, White Zombie, um, Slayer are on it. And then when you went to World Tour then, when you got the drum kit with it, and you could get the bass guitar. I mean, the, I I had the drum kit, and um, yeah. it was just absolutely brilliant. It was great and, fun, great fun. Um, so for me at that time, I think Finley was two years old, my eldest, and I've got videos of him, you know, holding the Guitar Hero guitar 
play trying to play the guitar and then sitting on a stool literally on on the drums the, um, the, the, the drum kit thing i mean it was it was rock band one that had the drums first and yeah. then guitar hero branched out into that as well and that that was it was just golden it really was it was it was just so much fun it was so addictive you had great songs it's it, but going back to guitar hero legends of rock guitar hero 3 um i had a wii at that time so the controllers were slightly different you had to put you had to put the, yeah, to put the controller in it yeah. guitar and all that kind of shit but um but you know you talk about the song list there was some great stuff on there you had made a number of the beasts you had metallica one you had rolling stones painted black which is always a classic um beastie boys sabotage alice cooper schools out um just just fucking classic after classic but there's one thing i do remember and when we had this game was when my wife was heavily pregnant with our first child, who's now um, a fucking teenager, which is just terrifying. But I used to come home from work and find my my heavily pregnant wife on maternity leave playing this game. And she'd been sat there all day playing it um, with the <laughs> guitar just perfectly rested on the bump. Because it just was brilliant. You know, it, it was like she looked like fucking Mark King from Level 42. So I <laughs> I will. I will always remember that she found it so addictive. But we we played this game for fucking hours, and yeah. me not being a gamer, it was just it was something completely different. It was so interactive and it was so much fun. And you had the guitar battles as well, didn't you, with Slash and Tom Morello? You did. Yeah, so it's it's really one of those fun. games where you you've got that completist kind of view of I want to get a better score. I want to try and get a hundred percent. But you've also got that. I'll just have one more go. I'll I'll just have one more go. And yeah, before you yeah. know it, it's two o'clock in the morning. The only thing I did find with this game, though, was that you had to have the TV really loud because you had to overpower the sound of the actual controller. The, the clacking. Controller. Yeah, it, it was loud. <laughs> so you had to have the TV really loud. got to a point where I'd, I got an amp and just wired everything through speakers so it would overpower the sound. But, you know, that's, that's, that's a small yeah. thing. And then, you know, as, as as Guitar Hero kind of went on, you got into the spe speciality versions then, didn't you? So you've got a Guitar Hero Metallica, an Aerosmith, a Van Halen, and then from a rock band, I think you had rock band The Beatles. I had that one. But then you had weird shit like um, rock band Lego. What? <laughs> I didn't even yeah. know that existed. Yeah, it, it was basically just the same as rock band, but all of the videos were just Lego characters. I remember... Um... Guitar Hero Metallica, because not only did you have you have all the Metallica stuff, you you had a load of stuff that was like they were fans of and they were influenced by as well, didn't you? You had Corrosion Conformity on there, you had Diamond Head on there, um, The Sword, Mastodon, Thin Lizzy, Merciful Fate, Priest, Social Distortion, Alice in Chains, fucking just loads and loads of stuff. And I think that's probably my favorite one musically, because yeah, A, you had all the classic Metallica stuff, plus you had all these great songs to go with it. I love still... playing War Inside My Head, Suicidal Tendency. I've oh. still got that guitar up in my attic, and it's worth a fortune now. It's ridiculous. That's mad. That's mad. Yeah. That's, that just shows the impact this game had. Do you reckon they've got, they've, they've, there's ever been, like, you know, someone Here turns up, they get their Guitar Hero guitar signed by Kirk Hammond? <laughs> It'd be the White Explorer, wouldn't it? You'd have to have that signed by Hetfield, I think. I think that's the way you would go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did um, have any of you played the 
the last Guitar Hero where they changed the guitar. So it's six buttons, three above and three below. It's just not. We quite had it. Thin. We had it on. Um, I think it was on the Switch, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, either on the Switch or on the PS3, one or the other, and it it just wasn't. It just it was too much to think about. It wasn't as much fun. Yeah. It didn't work. It didn't work at all. I mean, you had you had that whole kind of um, download thing where you could download loads of songs. Yeah. And, um, Rock Band was actually in the news uh, last week where they're only now going to close down the Rock Band online library where you've been able to download songs from Rock Band since 2007 and it's oh. still going now. <laughs> I was, wow. Yeah, crazy. Again, you know, you talk about money. I wonder what the um I wonder what the revenue has been from the Guitar Hero games. Uh, Massive. I mean, there's always talk of their of of them bringing it back just before Christmas. Uh I think it was Jack Black was on somewhere and he was talking that he'd been asked to do something with um Guitar Hero and about a possible relaunch in um in 2024. And um, what was great to see is that everybody on um Twitter basically said it's got to be the original guitar. We just we want it back to the original guitar, just dead simple and just great songs. I'm surprised that it hasn't made a comeback. To be fair, I'm just looking at just looking at the. Um, I quickly googled it, and the US alone, the Guitar Hero series of games, the revenue was over two billion dollars. Oh my god! Wow, that, that's I mean, the people, US alone. So, I mean, we talk about the, you know, the subject of video games itself. The amount people, so many people out there, don't really realise how much the video game industry is worth because this is a conversation that kept coming up i think after brexit when you know there were talk about um you know companies and the interaction with europe and that was going to be affected um and europeans going back because always we always talk about fishing and whatnot and it's of course the video game industry in the uk is worth so much more than fishing and yet we bugger that up for the sake of a fish um and that's the thing. It's it's it's. I don't. Sorry, uh, how how uh, how has Brexit affected the UK gaming industry? I think the again, I'm not certain, but I think the argument was the UK gaming industry has a lot of international employees, um, and so Brexit potentially affected their employment. Um, I don't know. Like I say, that's. I know it was talked about at the time um, as going to be affected way way more because of the, the amount of money but i mean even even like when that kid beat tetris the other day um yeah you know, like like yeah some nasty comments on on um in the media that you know it's also a waste of time isn't it it's like it's it's a huge industry and it's a valid vi viable art form now so yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. yeah shut the fuck up <laughs> But what would yeah, but you've got, got, you've got, you can you can actually you can study programming for computer games at university now. You can do master's degrees in it. I mean, it's like yeah. you know, if people work in that sector, you can go and do training to get into that sector. Think about all the all the all the people that could have gone into kind of like being animators for comic books. They've gone into animation digitally for computer games. It's like it's a it's a it's a really wide artistic uh, sector. Um, and it's and it's cool. Computer games are fucking cool. Right? You know, 
Everyone does it now. I mean, I, I remember when I was, like Gav mentioned, I used to work in game. After the Xbox came out, like, you know, because all, all the guys that worked in the shop were, we were you know, were all like, you know, young 20-something men. And like, we were like, you notice the amount of like single females coming in and like buying Xboxes and stuff. And, you know, you, you definitely started seeing it then, like, you know, different people buying computer games and consoles. And mm. now it's a lot more acceptable. Yeah, one of the arguments that pisses me off is like, oh, it's you know, 70 quid for a game. But then some of these games, it might take you 150 hours to finish that game completely. That's 50p an hour. And like they have a you lot know. of these, a lot of the big games, they have writers, they have actors, they have, it takes two, three, four years to, um, and, and this is the other thing. Uh, these games, some of these game franchises, when they get released, they're cultural events. Like, there's already like one of my favorite games is StarCraft, and StarCraft Three is being touted at the minute. And like everyone's like, oh my god, StarCraft Three is going to be amazing. Diablo is another one, and a lot of these are Blizzard games as well. Uh, World of Warcraft, which I'm not really into, but um, Warhammer is the other one. And then you've got um, the Grand Theft Auto franchise is massive. Obviously, there's the Sonic Mario. I tell you one thing we didn't talk, we didn't mention in terms of again a game that's not necessarily metal but that has metal touches. It's uh, sorry, it's Street Fighter Two. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, like you know what it's like. You've gone all the way through. You're on M Bison, the end level boss. <laughs> he's, you know, he's he's done you two or three times in a row, and you're like, right, I need to change characters. Who do I get get in to finish the job? It's always Guile because the man has had military training. All right, look, all of that's the past. Um, what about the future then? What, Where can it go? Because since guitar... VR. Has, VR. Well, I suppose, I suppose, yeah, I suppose it would be, wouldn't it? I mean, we won't get into talking about... Like, some, someone I know was telling me about VR porn the other day. He's like, fucking hell, what, what is wrong? No, no. It's, it's that, but, you know, but that, that's going to be, that's going to get to the point where everyone, we're just like, you know, like robots attached to like, you know, or looking for like constant dopamine hits or something. Uh, you, you, you'll be having sex like in Demolition Man across oh, the room from each hell. other with uh, headsets on. And <laughs> yeah, using using three shells to wipe your ass. It'll be, it'll be like, it'll be like that episode of Red Wolf. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Better fucking yeah, yeah. Uh, Gunman yeah. Gun of the Apocalypse. That's it, Gunman of the Apocalypse. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. 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 Those pixels. You call me, I, I have to do it. They call me the kid, the Riviera kid. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's got to be a future in it, surely. There must be. I mean, like I said earlier on, Maiden are still doing bits and pieces when they do releases and, and whatnot. But there, there must be, like I said, bringing back Guitar Hero. Oh. There's, there's so much... Think, There's so much scope now. The thing is, like so many of these games, I, I, and I can't keep up. They're so big. They're so epic, yeah. aren't they? They're a world, a world unto themselves. But in some ways, the smaller yeah. scale stuff that's needed to sort of interact with with well, if, if we look at what's going to happen with um, Grand Theft Auto Six, I mean, Rockstar put out a tweet just saying we're going to put a trailer out in a week's time and it had a million hits in like less than like 10 minutes or something daft like that yeah just to say here's going to be a trailer and then when the trailer hit it only told you the game was going to be released in a year's t- in a year's time <laughs> <laughs> but I, 
think as well, like, if you look at, okay, where's it going to go? Not in terms of, like, how the technology is going to evolve or anything like that. So one of my, on a, on a slightly different note, one of my favourite games is Diablo. I've played all of them. I thought Diablo 3 was pants, by the way. But um, Diablo 2, the amount of hours I spent playing that game. But Diablo 4 came out this year, or no, last year. And um, uh, Christina Scabia from Lacuna Coil has written a song about Diablo. So it's not like music influencing computer games anymore. Computer games are now influencing music. So I think, what was the, what was the other band that... that You've also, you've also, so um, Serena Cherry from Svalbard, her Noctual project is entirely but the, that black metal album. It's a concept based on Skyrim. The yeah. whole album is based on yeah. Skyrim. Yeah, so. but, she, uh, but she works yeah. in video games, doesn't she? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. all kinds of game and stuff. So, like, like the, the, the the Skyrim games, uh, and again the the well the Elder Scrolls games and Skyrim is part of that. They go all the way back. They go back years. These are like these are epic games that they're, and they're. they're pillars of, of again pc gaming but like you've got the witcher games you've got the skyrim uh, elder scrolls games you've got diablo you've got world of warcraft stuff like that those again those those are games that are there's a there's a it's, it's a separate universe of material that you could draw from if you're a band looking for material to write songs about so um it, it's uh Art, you know, life imitating art, you know? Yeah. I mean, last year I went to, um, I took Noah to a BBC gaming concert uh, in Cardiff and um, full orchestra doing music. And they did um, the Sephiroth theme from Final Fantasy VII. Um, and that has recently been covered, including into this headline of i think it's called nintendo core where it's like metal bands doing gaming covers and i think steve what yeah. was that you said that you'd seen horse the band horse the band oh horse. Yeah. okay yeah yeah remember um, i think that the, i remember coming across and there was a song i think it was called fluffy bunnies I'm yeah sure that, i think that was it one day and that's um, the yeah yeah. Where began. yeah but then you know where i've seen um punk rock factory and they do all, you know, these TV themes and whatnot. They do uh, a couple of um, computer game stuff in there as well, in their in their sets. Yeah. So this is this is the thing. It's, yeah. it's always going to be part of. It's always going to be part of this culture. But I would love to see what would what would come next. And the whole thing of doing metal albums based on games like Noctal, it would. Be, it, there's some some stuff in that. I'd, I'd love to see a fucking a hardcore band do a Streets of Rage concept album. How about that? Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, you know, you know what's going to happen. It'll be some prog band. We'll do a concept album of bloody, um, like I say, Skyrim, and it'll be two two hours long and shit. Yeah. Fun, the, fun, the, the other thing that I've noticed over the last couple of weeks when I have been looking at um, the Friday releases is there are a few bands, even, in, even, even now, who are hitting computer game style covers for their album covers. So there was one yeah. the other day, Cobra Kill, uh, their album Serpent's Kiss. And it's almost like 80s Mega Man kind of pixel art uh, on that one, which is really good. And then one that I was talking to Bean about earlier today, Mountain Crawler. Yeah. You look at that oh, yeah. and it, yeah. it, it looks like it could be a computer game. 
But this, but this is the thing. A lot of a lot of this art stuff crosses over. I mean, you know, talk about comics. People, I think people still think of comics of what of how they were drawn 40, 50 years ago. But the range of artwork and the style now is so so broad across the world. Um, yeah, you know, there's a lot of crossover there now. People would be surprised. Amongst all that, though, I just have to say, Padre, have you noticed that Gab's waving a pen? Did I? Oof. Fucking put it down. Take him down. <laughs> right, two, two things. Right, I, and I'm sorry, I, I, I'm not being discriminatory because I have called the voice of reason up on this and being about this. Enough with the pens. You're not fucking Barry Norman. And two, <laughs> you know, you're not fucking Mark Kermode, right? Two, you've come on a metal podcast. What the fuck are you wearing? He looks like he's wearing a high of his vest to me. What are you? Yeah, wearing? it's a it's it's my local football team's hoodie. All right, it's something Welsh. Move on, move on. Uh, <laughs> fuck. And at one point, at one point, I thought he was wearing some kind of Adidas tracksuit top, and I thought, who the fuck are you, Jonathan Davis? <laughs> no, all that's um, acceptable. I think on that note, yeah, yes, I've decided I'm going to go and listen to all the Corn albums. By the way. Uh, Have you not started that yet? I'm trying to get ready for this Judas Priest episode. Secondly, um, I've gone away and I've had a rethink about Belinda Carlisle and how close she got to Crash. Uh, uh, please I've, tell I me we've got a, a, a next instalment of this. I, I have to say that I, I think I really misinterpreted the meaning of that song. Um, and I actually think it's that Heaven is a Place on Earth by Belinda Carlisle. It's quite possibly the closest she ever came to power metal. Fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> He's got his head in his hands. <laughs> I'm calling it a night. That's it. I, there, there's not enough alcohol in the world that can carry this on any longer. So that's Think about it. it. Think about it. it. I'm saying nothing. Power metal song. Yes, I agree to a certain extent. It well, you can say that if. You can say that that every fucking eighties pop song was very. This is true. Fucking total eclipse of the heart is pure power metal. Yeah, but but see now you see you're buying into it now you see because it's not entirely power metal but it's close to this is thing you see this thing you're you're grasping my logic now. Well, see, well that case it's not even eighties. Think twice by Celine Dion. That's power metal. There you go. No, no. That's it. No, no. That's it. This ends here. No, no, no. This stops here. No. Bad boys. No. Celine Dion's got a mention. No, no. It stops. That's it. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. We'll round up with January. Uh, That's it. No, no. That's it. No, no. That's it. You're done. You're done. Thank you for listening. Stay metal. No more. (laughs) 